Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. Today's program is really going to be interesting. We have with us Chris Sullins. He's CEO of Workwave, and we're going to. And he wants to talk about something uh, and a trend that I think, um, and a lot of other people think, is happening, which is the fact that uh, we're not segmenting companies anymore by small business or enterprise, but rather, uh, um, thanks to advanced technology, uh, other factors. Uh, Chris, welcome to the program. Hi, Don. Thanks for having me. Well, Chris, as we ask all our guests, tell us a little bit about yourself personally. I understand you uh, you're in Neptune, New Jersey. You know our program usually comes out of uh, uh, Ridgefield, New Jersey. So tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. yourself personally. Sure. Um, so I, uh, Chris Sullins, I'm CEO of Workwave. Um, we are on the uh, Jersey Shore down in Neptune, in New Jersey, just uh, down the street from Asbury Park. Uh, and that's our corporate headquarters. Um, I, uh, my career and kind of how I got here was uh, a bit of a, a winding path um, and uh, started out with a mechanical engineering degree, really uh, went down the engineering path, um, transition in manufacturing uh, for fiber optic um, cables and uh, transition to leadership position there, um, got my MBA, uh, did a little bit of consulting and ended up um, kind of really trying to uh, get experience across the broad spectrum of, of uh, roles and responsibilities within the company, so marketing and sales, uh, operations, um, and uh, and then ultimately um, was uh, was brought to uh, Marathon Data Systems, which was the uh, the name that um, our company went under until uh, 2015 when we rebranded it to Workwave. Uh, I came here in 2008. Uh, and have uh, as CFO, and um, and then um, have uh, took over as CEO in August of 2008, and have been doing that ever since. Um, I've got two two kids, and uh, you know, just uh, enjoying, I guess, the New Jersey Shore. Well, what does Workwave do? So, Workwave is a cloud-based provider of solutions for field service companies uh, and last mile delivery and logistics providers. Um, So for field service, think of pest control, lawn care, heating, air, and plumbing, um, all the trades that, you know, do work on homes and businesses every day. Uh, And on the last mile delivery, um, it's less about kind of what they call over the road, so getting product from one end of the country to another, more around localized delivery, uh, getting, you know, packages, food and beverage, uh, those kind of products from a distribution center or a warehouse to a home and a business, which um, both segments have similar characteristics uh, in that they uh, they have a heavy concentration of people in the field, uh, you know, doing work through driving vehicles around. Um, and, uh, and so visibility into what goes on in the field, um, 
efficiency of of kind of the routes and and uh, and the logistics of, of how they do their job every day um, can pay huge dividends for those kind of companies. And so we actually provide software and technology solutions to help them improve kind of their operations on a on a day to day business. Um, our customer segment is. Uh, you know, spans everything from, you know, companies that have thousands of drivers or technicians, uh, so enterprise-type companies um, out on the road, as all the way down to, you know, one or two kind of what they call the mom-and-pop or very small business uh, providers who um, – who serve the same markets, they just do it in a, in a different way. And that's that's really the crux of where, I guess, my perspective comes in in terms of the blurring between small business and enterprise. Um, and, uh, and we actually try to use technology uh, or provide the technology uh, for our customers to be able to effectively uh, blur those lines. Well, well, you have an interesting take on this. You think that uh, in the not-too-distant future, um, it's, we're not going to be uh, dividing the markets by uh, SMB or enterprise or big companies, but rather, what, how will we divide, and, and what do you mean by all this? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And, and I, I wouldn't, you know, I'm always careful with kind of a blanket statement that says it's all going to go one way or the other. I think that um, in certain segments, you're starting to see the lines get blurred. Um, in other segments, I think it, um, you know, it's going to, there still will be lots of benefits that larger companies get versus small. So, for example, um, the com companies that we serve, uh, the, the field service companies, uh, and the last mile kind of logistics providers, um, you know, if you think of it from your perspective as a consumer, um, you know, you have a set of expectations uh, for how the job gets done, how professional the, the people are, um, you know, how they price and, and kind of how you can interact. So, for example, paying your bill online, um, being able to get service, pre-service notifications, all those kind of things that traditionally bigger companies were in a better position to provide because they could invest in the technology to be able to enable it. Um, and it was hard for the smaller companies to do it. Um, you know, with with the cloud, uh, um, being able to take the cost of technology, especially for small companies, and, and reduce it um, and make it much more palatable, um, and with expectations on the consumer side where it's like, okay, well, I, I want to root for the local guy, I want to root for the small guy, um, but if the service is horrible <laughs> um, versus the bigger provider, um, you know, ultimately I'm probably going to choose, you know, the better service for me and, and you know, my situation. And so um, so I think what you're seeing is kind of there's high expectations no matter who you are. Um, and with technology, it's lowering the bar uh, in terms of cost and the ease of implementation and those kind of things for smaller companies so that they actually now can provide just as good and in a lot of ways better service um, because they are smaller. Um, they have the same technology or the access to the same types of technology, but they also have that kind of small local feel that you know everybody looks for. Um, and so I think what you start to see is um, there's an expectation that all companies, no matter how big they are, have the same kind of access to, to technology or customer experience. Um, and there's a capability of actually delivering on that now that in the past hasn't, hasn't been the case. Um, well, uh, Chris, uh, uh, clarify for, for our audience. When we talk about the last mile, um, which has become a popular term. It, it means who, who's ever delivering uh, something to to the ultimate consumer. Um, uh, exactly. Correct? So I, yes, exactly. So I I like to use the example of, you know, we don't uh, our customers, the people we serve, don't worry about getting an iPhone from China, you know, to the dock in the United States for. 
but they do um, care about getting it from whatever distribution center or warehouse is there to consumers on a um, on a daily basis. So drivers essentially go home every day um, and show up to work every morning, uh, as opposed to you know go out on the road for weeks at a time delivering you know pallets full of things um, you know from one place to another. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about a small business. Let's say um, someone who has 10 trucks out there, um, say, for the sake of argument, let's use a florist who has uh, 10 Mm -hmm. trucks. Is that that's the type of operation which would uh, which your technology would help them decide how best to route them for the next day? Is that the type that we're talking about? Exactly. Yeah. So we, our technology really serves three purposes or solves three problems, if you will, for, uh, for our end customers. So, um, we help them be more efficient in the office. So if you think about things like keeping track of who your customers are, uh, who, what prospects you have leads and those kind of things, um, what services you provide, how you price your product, you know, pre- presenting bills and, and doing invoicing and then, you know, all the reporting. So we have um, a solution for uh, inside the office. Um, we also have a solution for out in the field. Um, so to your point, things like optimized routing uh, so that they know uh, based on the stops that they have to do for the day, in which order should they do them, which driver should do them, uh, and they can set the right expectations for the customer while being as efficient as possible. Um, GPS tracking, uh, which provides both the ability to know where uh, all the the drivers are uh, for an owner or manager or a company, uh, but also to give tools like driver behavior, um, so uh, alerts when they're speeding or aggressive driving or harsh braking, um, both to the driver themselves uh, as well as to the office so that um, you reduce the number of incidents and you reduce the uh, ultimately the number of, of accidents that, that occur. And then mobile technologies, uh, which for a florist may not be as important, uh, but for somebody doing service in the field like a pest control operator or lawn care person, being able to have all the account information, all the information about what they're supposed to do for the day, um, their schedules, being able to actually record what they do in real time in the field uh, and have all that sync in, in real time so that you minimize paperwork, you maximize kind of data quality and those things. Um, so that's what we do for, for our customers in the field. And then uh, our newest area of focus is helping them uh, generate more leads and then manage um, the customer experience on the uh, customer acquisition side of, of the equation, so the front office side. So things like marketing automation tools, reviews, um, consumer reviews, service reviews, um, as well as uh, lead kind of tracking of lead management and, and those type of activities. <clears throat> well, let's take this uh, and make it a little broader for, for, for our audience. Uh, you and companies like yours are really uh, providing the tools for smaller companies that larger companies have. Would I be safe in saying that? Absolutely, yep. Now, now having said that, you you now feel that uh, we, we, the the general public and those serving it, um, we've got to start looking at companies differently. How how should we be looking at companies differently? Um, you know, I think uh, I think we as we evaluate kind of products and services, and I think you see this a lot of online businesses, so e-commerce businesses. You know, we we interact with with businesses, and we don't have any idea kind of how big they are for the most part. Um, and, and really the reason is because what we worry about is our customer experience. We want it to be a great experience uh, for us, and technology is a big driver of that experience. So uh, I think, you know, as we look at, at small and medium-sized businesses, I think the evaluation criteria becomes more around 
what problems are they solving uh, for their customers, um, and what markets are they serving, and then how are they doing that in a way that's different um, or that enables kind of those problems to be solved efficiently. Um, and I think, you know, you can look at that now almost irregardless of size, uh, where before it was do they have the scale and the capability, and there's certainly benefits to scale, um, but there's also downsides to, to scale as well in terms of, you know, managing people and, and uh, you know, the volume of, of work that needs to be done that a small business doesn't get, get burdened with necessarily. Well, well, this has been a trend. In fact, you know, interesting you mentioned about uh, – a focus on a customer. I just um, uh, ha- had a session with John Scully, the former uh, mm-hmm. uh, pre- president of uh, Apple, and he said that uh, the co- companies of the future will be focusing on the customer and solving a customer's problem. How does your your uh, comp- company help solve uh, customer problems? Yeah, no, it's a great point, and I think it's critical uh, for success over the long run. I think, um, you know, for us, as I described our business, I think, you know, I alluded to the fact that we're we're looking at the way we look at products and the way that we look at evolving the business even um, is solving problems for our target markets. And so our target markets are field service and last mile logistics. And each one of those has many similar characteristics, some different. And as we think about adding new products, enhancing products, we spend a lot of time um, obviously basing it based on our experience because we've been serving the market for a long time, but also talking to customers, um, testing the solutions uh, with them, both through um, you know, the product management process, so a formalized process of gathering their inputs and turning that into requirements, but also through wireframes and user experience and, and really trying to get see how they would interact with some of the solutions to understand are we solving a problem or are we not. So we spend – we certainly look at competition and what they do, but I would say we spend – a very small portion of our time looking at what features and functionality our competition is putting out, and much more of our time is spent with customers saying, look, what are the problems that you're having in the areas that we focus on, and how can we help you, um, you know, solve those problems through, you know, products or services that we can uh, we can develop. Question, why, why did you come up with the, the name of WorkWave, and what does it mean? So, Yep. So, um, so we have evolved the business. I think I, I mentioned we started out really focused when I when I got here in 2008 on the back office um, solution for a single market pest control uh, service. Um, and over time, we found that you know to the point that we just discussed, there were other problems that we should be addressing and solving through technology. So that was getting into uh, the field uh, and helping them get visibility there as well as on the marketing side. And so as we evolved the business um, and expanded the platform to different markets, um, we felt like our brand and our messaging really did um, kind of resonate. And so as we looked at that, talked to customers, talked to prospects, talked obviously internally, a, a theme kind of arose between the two segments we serve, which is for us, for our customers to be successful, they need to be in motion. So a delivery company doesn't make any money if drivers are sitting in the distribution center. A field service company doesn't make any money if their technicians are sitting in the branch. They need to be out in the field doing work as efficiently as possible. And so we viewed it as our responsibility. And what we really were trying to do was to enable them to um, be more efficient doing work in motion. So work in motion became a theme that kind of tied both of those together. And as we looked at brands that really conveyed that, uh, call it subtly, um, WorkWave was one that 
uh, fell out uh, for two reasons. So one, we felt like it conveyed this kind of work in motion concept uh, subtly uh, with the work and the wave. Um, but two, because we're on the Jersey Shore and we actually, within the office, very kind of themed towards uh, – towards beaches, all of our conference rooms are named after local beaches here and local beaches in the offices that we have. Uh, we have long boards that people can kind of ride through the office. Um, this kind of work wave name uh, also was something we could have fun with uh, internally while conveying kind of um, subtly the message that we wanted to get to the market. So that's, that's how we got to it. Uh, and your, your website for, for – uh... Uh, our listeners? It's www.workwave.com. Okay. One last question. You started off uh, at the company as CFO. Uh, in, what have, what, uh, as a final question, what uh, two things have you learned uh, in this time that uh, you think other um, um, leaders should have, should uh consider when growing their company? Um, that's a good question. So uh, the first is something that we've actually talked about, which is just a laser focus on solving customer problems in your target market. I think as a small business, um, you really are looking you have a lot of opportunities and a lot of different directions you can go, uh, and you're constantly trying to, you know, generate revenue and, and get to a point where you can kind of scale. And so it's easy to get lose sight of what it is that really is uh, is important. And so, so for us, um, you know, learning how to say no and learning how to stay focused on the problems that we feel like we can best solve. Um, was really important. Uh, and then the second thing I would say is just uh, with respect to people and hiring. So as you grow your business, when I, I joined, we were a much smaller company. We were about 38 uh, employees. Um, you know, the CEO in that case uh, really has good visibility of everything that's going on across the organization, which makes it much easier to uh, to kind of make sure that all the parts and pieces are are being coordinated and well communicated with. You know, today we're almost 220 people, um, and we have a talented group of employees. We've got a talented group of managers, um, but keeping everybody on the same page is is uh, is more difficult. And so, um, so the second thing I would say is just as you're hiring in those managers. Uh, and directors and vice presidents, you know, the people that can help lead the business. Um, there needs to be a real strong focus on people that are aligned with the culture that you have and the direction that you want to go um, and, you know, are, um, I'll call it collaborative and process-minded uh, so that they can help to make sure that you put the right processes in place as you grow but do it without losing what I call the soul of the uh, of the company. We've been talking with Chris Sullins. He's CEO of Workwave, and he his company, like many others, are, are uh, bridging the gap between small companies and large companies, and making them more efficient thanks to the cloud. Uh, Chris, I want to thank you for joining us, uh, and good luck in the future. All right, thank you, Don. I really enjoyed it. Um, same here. I hope our audience did as well. Me too. Our next guest is Janice Kasten. She's an experienced marketing professional and currently vice president of global marketing for Toluno, a leading digital insights company. Janice, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Don. Well, uh, as we ask all our guests, before anything else, Will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. Your personal... Go ahead. Sure, sure. Uh, I, can you tell I'm excited to be here? Um, so uh, I am a, a marketing uh, professional. I head up global marketing for Toluna. Toluna is a uh, – we, we, we empower marketers to obtain real-time feedback. And so essentially my job is to market to marketers. I'm responsible for making sure that marketing professionals – know how to use survey research to further their goals, no matter how big or small their company. 
Um, I've been with the business for quite some time, and Toluna's changed quite a bit over the last 15 years that I've been here. Um, we, you know, started as a very small company, substantiating the idea of survey research. So much of my time was spent, you know, on, on academic research on research, proving that online research was just as good as phone research. And as you can imagine, things have changed pretty significantly over the years. We were uh, publicly traded at one point uh, when the the company in the States was known as Greenfield Online. And we've since uh, been acquired by Toluna. Greenfield Online was acquired from Microsoft uh, by Toluna. And we now operate as Toluna. And Toluna is a global company. We're headquartered in uh, Paris, France, and also have a significant headquarters in, in the U.S., in, in Wilton, Connecticut. And um, my job is to make sure that we are, you know, um, talking to marketers, talking to small business professionals about how they can use research to further their goals. We have a lot of different products, and I'm responsible for bringing those products uh, to the marketplace with, uh, with, with key stakeholders here on the tech side as well. So, in a nutshell, that's that's a little bit about me and my role here. Okay, well, but you didn't say a little bit about yourself. You've been there a long time, but it's it's interesting. Uh, but anyway, we'll we'll get to the main main question. Okay, I'm a, a marketer. I've got research. Now you're saying that online research um, is as good as other types of research. Why is that, and can you give us an example? Sure. Um, so basically, you know, years ago when companies were looking to conduct research, you know, research was typically almost like an insurance policy. You know, you basically have research that validates a business decision, but you might or might not have already had a hunch as to what that outcome might look like. Research has changed and, and evolved over time, and we now see companies using research in more and more strategic ways. You know, when I first started in this business 15 years ago, phone research, you know, basically someone calling your home and asking you questions about the products you use, and mail research was the only way of doing things. And so as you can imagine, you know, not only was it very expensive because you've got to pay to have someone who's placing calls that cost money and, and sitting, you know, in a, in a, uh, a, you know, a company somewhere and placing those calls or mailing questionnaires and tabulating the results, you know, we've, we've kind of come to this point where online research is largely self-administered. So much of the cost is, is um, you know, is, is reduced. And the other piece of this is the timeline's been reduced significantly as well. You know, instead of, you know, waiting for 100 phone calls to be placed and, and netting out, you know, X number of completed interviews, you know, the Internet and, and computer-based or, or web-based surveys have, have eliminated um, much of the time that was required in conducting survey research. So we've seen an evolution um, in the way that, that people use research. You know, it can be used... Um, in a much more cost-effective manner. It can be used to gut-check just about any decision, and it can be used a lot more strategically throughout the course of business decision-making rather than at one point in time to validate a decision when you know, your, your entire business or your, 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 your stake is, is kind of um, um, really based on the research that's conducted. It's used along the way, and it's, um, it's, it's become much more dynamic as a result. Well, um, again, I know just enough market research to be dangerous, but I'll uh, uh, step into it and say um, uh, I've been told by marketing professional, professionals that you can make a survey more or less say anything you want it to say if you ask the right questions. Um, how do you feel about that, and how do you guard against it? That's a really good question, and that's – you know, that's true. You can, you know, it's like the glass half empty and half full. You can look at data and kind of make it seem exactly how you might want it to seem. But most marketers want to make the right decision. And, um, you know, the companies that we work with, you know, they're, they're looking to, in this more and more competitive marketplace, they're looking to stand out. They're looking to ensure that they release and launch the best products they're looking to make sure that the packages that they design, you know, jump off the shelf or 
or the strategies that they have are the right ones. So even though, you know, as a marketer, you can kind of look at survey research and say, yeah, I want to I want to have this ad go to market. I think most people are really at this point looking to to make smart smart decisions and want consumer feedback and want it to be really really, you know, on point. So our clients come to us and they say, you know, we're looking to find out about this package, for example. We want to make sure that, you know, we launch the right package and this right, you know, um, right creative. Um, we'll typically work with clients to address the concerns that they might have and create a questionnaire that is not only engaging for the respondent and current, you know, mobile, for example, and, and presenting images within the survey and making it really realistic, but we also make sure that the questions that are being asked are asked in the right way. You know, you never want to start a survey by saying, you know, uh, do you like this? <laughs> you know, it's a subjective question. You've, you've got to kind of frame the question in the right way and make sure that you are actually saying, you know, um, first of all, you know, does this, this, is this package something that you'd consider purchasing. And you essentially want to walk the respondent through a narrative and provide some structure so that they're not just kind of faced with this ad hoc question that might not mean all that much to them. You're really kind of taking them through a logical, almost like a conversation. That's the same way you'd want to frame it. You know, you want to make sure that the product's relevant to them because if it's not, you know, you might not necessarily need to get their opinion if they're a non-buyer. So we really make sure that the questionnaires that we're designing uh, with our, our clients or we're fielding with our clients work in that way. And in some cases, we've built pre-populated uh, uh, survey templates that help our DIY customers do this themselves very quickly. Well, let me ask you another question. Everybody talks sure. about big data. What yeah. is it, big data to you and your company and how how does a small kind of business utilize yeah. it? I think that um, eliminating the word big does a lot for <laughs> for people. <clears throat> it makes it much less intimidating, you know. And it's really just kind of at the end of the day, data. And you know, at a at a any company, you've got data from multiple sources. You know, in in my job as a marketing person here at Toluna, you know, I have my customer data. I have you know, the survey research data that I typically field to find out about how satisfied our customers are. You know, and I might have other data about the types of products that they're using, how long they're on our website, and so on. So when I look at this data in different buckets, you know, I, it, it can tell me one story. Big data, as it's defined, you know, marries all those data sources and gives you a more complete picture. But really, at the end of the day, it's all about not necessarily the data. It's about the insight. And what you really want to understand is not just who my customer is and, and what they do today, but how do I get them to kind of point B and what I want them to do now and five years from now. And so basically, you know, I think that any small business or any entrepreneurial business should take a step back and, and, and think about that question. You know, you've got all this data. Does it matter to you? If you're not necessarily transacting with folks on your website, and you're not sending them offers via the website, you know, does that need to be part of your overall data equation? Data scientists can help you to answer those questions, but really, you know, you don't need to overcomplicate things. Look at the data that's important to you, and there are many tools available to kind of help you to synthesize that data as it's relevant. Even just using simple you know, uh, tools like Salesforce.com and many of the other cloud-based systems, you get a lot of data about your customers. And it's, it's really important to use that data, but also to think about the other sources of data that you have and marry that up. Survey re research can kind of get into that equation as well. You, know, you might have customer data, and you see how much your customers are buying from you and, and generally when they're buying. Survey research can add an additional element to things. You know, why are your customers buying? Are they buying because, you know, you're readily available in these types of sources? Are they buying because of your price point? And survey research can give you insight into what customers really think about your brand and why they might engage. So it's that additional element, and we see survey research as something that kind of fits into that, that, that big data equation 
and makes it easier for people to understand and makes it kind of have, you know, that, that point A to point B, you know, not only what are you seeing from your customers, but what do you want to kind of help them to realize in the future? Well, um, getting back to online, uh, I've been a, a customer of uh, SurveyMonkey for okay. now almost, I'm one of almost one of its first customers. But, oh, okay. um, uh, uh, but uh, I always worry when I do a, a survey uh, uh, that I've created that uh, am I right, right, asking the right questions? Am I, uh, and am I reaching the right audience? How does one... Uh, well, first, uh, uh, figure out what question to ask, and then, two, who to ask. That's a good question. Yeah, many of our clients come to us um, with, uh, with that exact same question. Um, and survey research is a, is a, a, survey research is a you know, you, you really want to start by thinking about who you're asking the questions of before you actually kind of take that second step and think about the questions themselves. A lot of folks, and, and we see this as well, are using social, and they're using their own social feed to ask questions of their followers and so on. But really what matters is the audience that you're looking to address. Do you want to uh, learn more about your target audience? So, for example, do you want to find out what listeners of your radio station think about your radio programming? Or do you want to kind of look into new customers and acquiring those new customers? So you first want to address the audience. Oftentimes we see people say, I've got a SurveyMonkey account and I'm just going to blast my email contact database. But if the contact database aren't necessarily buyers of your product, you know, their feedback might not necessarily be important. What we found is today, and I'll, I'll kind of not necessarily plug our products, but you know, using our products, you can kind of get to um, general buyers and the folks that you need to reach um, that might be existing on our research panel. You know, we have a, a Taluna.com brings survey enthusiasts, people that want to participate in survey research together. So you're not just relying on your email contact database or a list that you might have, and you're actually broadening the, the group that you're reaching out to to find new potential uh, targets or customers. So when you've addressed the who, you know, who do you want to reach, you can then think about the questions you're going to ask. And so, for example, again, getting back to the idea that you might want to survey your radio listeners and find out what they like about your program, you know, the questions that you ask are just as important as the audience. And you really, again, you want to frame the story that you're telling. You want to ask them about the frequency with which they listen to your program, what they look for in your program, but walk through that survey in a logical way. Think about how you'd want to analyze the data you get back. And it's almost as simple as that. You'd want to start by saying, how often do people listen? What are they looking for? You know, et cetera. And so if you kind of use that frame of, of mind and you think about the outcome you're looking for, the questionnaire should support that flow. The second thing you'll want to do is you'll kind of want to keep it brief. You know, don't ask a question that you're not prepared to analyze. So, for example, if you're looking at the survey and you kind of think about the, the, the data that you want as an end result, don't ask a question that's irrelevant. You know, if you're not looking to understand what other types of radio programming they're listening to, don't ask the question because, you know, honestly what it, what it does is it might confuse the situation and give you more data than you're prepared to handle. And that, that kind of goes back to the idea that, you know, if you're not prepared for the response and you're not going to use that response, in, you know, in, in any of your strategies going forward, you know, again, eliminate it from your, uh, from your, your purview. You know, the, the other thing that I'd say is you want to consider a solution that is mobile optimized or mobile compatible. And the reason for this is everybody's on their mobile device all the time. So you can pretty much assume that, you know, whether you ask them to or not, you might get to people that are taking the survey on their mobile device. And then, you know, finally, you, you kind of want to consider the quality of the output. If you're asking survey questions, and you mentioned SurveyMonkey, and I obviously think about our Taluna tools, but... You know, if you're asking people about your radio programming and you, the first question is, you know, do you listen um, on a weekly basis, 
if that's really important to you and you don't want folks that don't listen more than weekly in your survey, you'll want to consider terminating those folks. You'll want to consider the quality of the data. You'll want to consider the groups that you're looking at and so on. Well, let me ask you, um, the, uh, people, as you said earlier, about people who want to uh, answer surveys, are they, they um, I don't want to say better, but it seems to me that they almost do it as a, a profession. Um, uh, are they, don't you want people yeah. who don't uh, answer as a, um, almost a raison d'etat, but uh, people who uh, are genuinely your customers or, or the people you want to reach? That's a great question. Yeah, it really depends on your objective. Um, a lot of times survey research can be used to uh, generalize about a certain population. So let's say, for example, you're launching a new product you would want to better understand the overall appeal of that product um, and, and make projections, uh, sales projections, et cetera. So you'd want to ne you know, not necessarily survey current users of your product, but the population at large, and that population might be men between the ages of X and Y. And using a survey research panel like the one that, that we have built or others, you can actually do that. You can project to a population at large. You can build an audience of survey respondents that would m match the population you're looking to project to, which is really interesting. And the idea kind of helps to make sure that um, that that you're you know kind of looking at the population at, at large and making um, inferences about that population. So people that want to take surveys, believe it or not, you know, depending upon the circumstance, while you say I might not necessarily join a panel and take surveys over time, you know, if you catch somebody at the right time with the right message, you might be inclined to take a survey if you don't feel as though you would otherwise. So we have built a survey population or people that go to Toluna.com, and these are folks that you know, not only like to participate in surveys, as you mentioned, as a profession, but I don't know, you know, the, the, the reward is more than just taking surveys. They engage with folks online. It's not just simply an email that they receive. You know, they, they post comments. You know, if you go to Toluna.com, they're generally curious people. You know, these are folks that want to, to learn more about what others think and do as well. I've seen them post topics and conversations about the the, the places that they might go on vacation and ask for feedback. And it's interesting because you can get global opinions there and opinions from those that might be outside of your typical social network. So it's really almost like a social experience and a social network for people that enjoy surveys. In addition to those folks, we actually reach out to other populations as well because, to your point, you don't just necessarily want to draw from one population. You want to make survey – you want to reach – just about anybody that's willing to take surveys. And as Toluna, it's our job to make sure that we're, you know, available to folks that want to participate in surveys and engage them with the right message at the right time, just in the way that any marketer would want to engage their target audience. So hopefully that answers your question. <laughs> You're more than answering my questions. More importantly, I think uh, I have a comment uh, uh, came across on our email. Terrific guest, so thank you. Oh, good. Um, uh, I have, let me ask you uh, this question about rewards. Um, uh, is it better to have one big award or ten smaller awards, or uh, or to offer uh, the results of the survey? Uh, how, how do you deal with the, uh, sure. those types of questions? Sure, that's a great question. Um, Exactly, and I hate to say, you know, there's no kind of silver bullet, um, but there, it it really is a, a it's it's a mixture of many different things. Um, you know, when you participate in survey research, you know, and you say, you know, I like X, Y, and Z package, you know, as a survey respondent, you know, to me, it's generally frustrating if you don't hear back. <laughs> you know, closing the loop is really important, as it is with any type of a marketing campaign that you do. You want to understand where your opinions have gone. And while we don't necessarily feed back every single result of every single survey, you know, we do try to close the loop with our respondents. And a few years ago, we were instrumental in launching 
Swiffer, the Swiffer WetJet, which was an interesting product that many of our uh, panelists were able to, to take surveys about and try in their homes. And so when the Swiffer WetJet launched, um, what was really nice is we were able to loop back and say, you know, look for uh, this product launch, and, and thanks so much for your opinion um, from folks that participated in that exercise. Mm-hmm. So we definitely try to close the loop, um, and that does provide an intrinsic, you know, reward. We also do um, sweepstakes. We we do a guaranteed point structure that's you know you can redeem for gift cards and some such. Um, in addition to, in some cases, cash prizes. So it's a mixture, and we try to keep it fun and, and engaging ongoing. The other thing that we try to do is we try to engage with our folks on social media because we find that. I'm going to interrupt uh, you here, yeah. Janice, just for one second to identify sure. you. Someone said, who is she? Uh, <laughs> okay. we're, t- uh, we're talking to Janice Kasten. She's a vice president of global marketing for Tuluna. Uh, a leading digital marketing uh, insights company, and sp- spelled uh, Toluna for for our audience and how you they can uh, find you on the internet. Oh sure, sure. Toluna is T O L U N A, and um, I kind of um, use two URLs that are important for us. The first is Toluna dot com, and that's for those that wish to participate in surveys. T O L U N A. And the second is Quick Surveys, Q-U-I-C-K Surveys, S-U-R-V-E-Y-S, dot com, and that is for those that might wish to run a survey of their own. Okay, now I'm sorry to interrupt you, Janice, but two people said, who is she? Uh, (laughs) That's okay. Great. So uh, you were saying, if you yeah, uh, so so really, it's it's a mix, and and it goes back to the idea of a marketing mix, and and you want to engage people over time, and and the best way of doing that is by mixing it up. Um, but the most important thing that we find is we need to make sure that we send surveys that are relevant to their interests. So we want to make sure that we're sending a survey about, you know, pet care to folks that own pets, and we do that by, you know, engaging with people that want to take surveys and learning more about them. And so that really is important as well. Uh, we make sure that every question counts. You know, so when we're asking questions, uh, we're, we're you know, using that information and our databases you know, are huge and we send targeted surveys you know, to those that have interest in certain topics. One, one final uh, question. Uh, with, with all this uh, the data that's being am- uh, amassed and, and used by all, um, what are the two things you t- tell your potential customers who are uh, thinking of uh, of using your services to do a survey? What are the two things you re- remind them the most about? Sure. Um, for us, you know, when our clients come to us and they have a business problem, uh, we really, you know, want to make sure that they get the best insight that will address the questions that they might have. So we really like to not just say, okay, so what's the survey that you're looking to run? It's really what's the business challenge that you have? And in many cases, that might be, you know, something as, as broad as a new product launch or something as narrow as we're looking to conduct a press release and we need a statistic to support the headline. So it really depends upon the objective, and we'll structure the approach with them as a result of that objective. And it might be that we're simply programming a survey on their behalf that's already been designed, and it might be broader than that. So it's really about the the crystallizing the business objective. And the second piece is really, you know, what types of questions and what types of data will address that best. And in some cases, that data might exist, and we supplement it with survey research. In other cases, it's solely relying on survey research, and um, we'll work with them to address that, that, you know, answer that question as best we can. Well, let me ask you one more question. Uh, Everybody, uh, a lot of people we have in the program talk about research, but what, what, um, and I know there's no typical, but uh, how do you charge for a survey uh, where you you help create it and find the people? Uh, What are your parameters? 
Sure. Quick Surveys is our again our DIY tool, and it's it's very widely used by entrepreneurs. They they look at this as you know the researchers you mentioned before asking the right questions. This is really built for that sole purpose. It's a researcher's um, tool, um, and it's low cost. I can say um, the cost is done the number of questions, the types of folks that we're looking at. And it's kind of a, a combination of those two factors. So let's say you want to ask a 20-question survey of a general population respondent. That might mean, you know, um, looking at, like, census data and finding someone that kind of fits that bill or a group of respondents that fit that bill. You know, the cost is, is relatively low cost. Um, I have to say it's, it's pretty straightforward, and it's something that most marketers kind of build in as a cost of doing business to you know, make sure that a decision is ironclad. The cost would increase if you were looking at males 18 to 24 in a smaller parameter and not just you know, census representation. Or it would increase if you were looking at you know, males that are 18 to 24 that own you know, a certain make and model of car because it might take us a little bit more to identify that individual person and our costs go up internally. So it's a formula of type of audience and specialty um, as well as survey length. The same might be said of doctors. You know, we survey doctors pretty frequently for our clients, and you know, um, many of our clients are in the pharmaceutical and medical industry, and, and, and the cost for surveying doctors increases uh, because we have to incentivize them more, for example. So um, uh, you indicated that, but let's say I, I had a 10-question question, uh, qu- uh, questionnaire. I'm uh, and uh, let's say it's dog owners, to use that example, and I wanted a 1,000 respondents. What would that cost approximately? And does that include you doing an analysis, or, or sure. do I? <clears throat> sure, that's a great question. Um, the, the reporting that we provide enables you to really do most of the work yourself. Yeah, you, you can take a look through our um, – it's, it's very visual, highly intuitive reporting. I'd say that's in the neighborhood of – depending upon the number of respondents that you wanted, it could range from 3000 to $6,000, really depending upon the number of respondents that you were looking for um, and so on. But we, I have to say that with our DIY tools, you know, we really do look to entrepreneurs and small business as an opportunity for growth for our, for our firm. Um, so we work within, you know, budgetary parameters, and we, you know, can ensure that we're helping uh, to provide solutions that are cost-effective. So that benchmark um, is is something that is discussed. Oh, uh, Janice Kasten, your global vice president for Toluna. Uh, 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 I want to thank you for a very look illuminating time and want you to come back towards the end of the year and and talk again. Uh, They said that you were substituting for for the head of the company, but I tell you, you you did a hell of a job. (laughs) Thanks, Don. It was great talking to you, and I'd I'd love to come back. Thank you. No, we would love to have you. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture.